Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Roadmap from Auto Finance News. Since 1996, the nation's leading newsletter on automotive lending and leasing. It's Monday, May 23rd, and I'm Joey Pizzolatto, joined by Amanda Harris and Whitney McDonald. This is our weekly wrap on what happened in auto finance for the week ending May 20th, 2022. In broader automotive retailing, electric vehicles are now cheaper to buy in New Jersey than they are in California, according to a recent report from Energy Innovation Policy and Technology LLC, a climate policy think tank. The analysis looked at financing costs, state taxes and fees, state and federal rebates and tax credits, especially the 7,500 tax, federal tax credit, fuel costs, maintenance costs, and insurance costs for six EV models and gas-related versions, finding that the EV version was cheaper to finance in New Jersey, Delaware, Oregon, Colorado, and Montana. Speaking of auto dealers, many are concerned about inflation negatively affecting their businesses in the next three months as more consumers become cognizant of their purchasing habits and car prices in both new and the used market remain elevated, according to a Capital One survey. Smaller dealers especially are feeling inflationary pressures already. High turnover at dealerships is also affecting dealerships' bottom lines, forcing over 88% of dealers to reevaluate compensation strategies. In auto finance, salaries among senior executives at publicly traded auto finance companies were flat last year, but total compensation tripled to nearly $7 million, thanks to generous stock awards. Executives from Credit Acceptance Corp., Shift Technologies, Room, and Ally Financial were among the top five earners in 2021, according to an auto finance news analysis of filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Meanwhile, two auto ABS deals hit the market last week. Subprime lender flagship credit acceptance closed a $600 million deal, its second of the year, and Carvana closed its second prime securitization of the year, a $660 million deal. Moving on to our top story of the week, and it's around, surprise, surprise, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Amanda, what's up there? Sure. Um, so we know that, you know, gap refunds and ancillary products have kind of been under a microscope for a while now, but especially um, the last year or so, and especially under um, Rohit Chopra's, you know, taking, taking the reins, um, has become even more so um, related to unfair practices. So the CFPB, um, Super Financial Protection Bureau, uh, is look, taking a hard look at these refunds, but also they're looking a little closer and they're looking at lender practices related to potentially miscalculating um, ancillary product refunds in general uh, following you know, a loan ending from repossession or being paid off early. Um, so typically lenders will need to calculate, um, you know, that refund amount because they typically will charge upfront as part of the loan, finance the total amount, you know, for um, GAP or, or, or those other add-on products at the start of a loan. And so when a loan ends early, you know, they have to refund that difference. But what is happening is they, they have found when they've done some examinations is that some lenders were miscalculating that amount. And so what they were doing was um, because they incorrectly calculated that amount, um, it resulted in a higher deficiency balance um, that the consumer then was being asked to pay. Um, so then the CFUB said that is unfair practice because if you had calculated this correctly, if you had um, you know let the third party servicers of these products know um, 
that this, this was being ended and that a refund is needed and facilitate that process, then that would offset some of the deficiency that the consumers owed, meaning they would owe less. Um, so that's kind of the gist of what they're looking at now. Um, so there's kind of two sides of this one. Lenders have to make sure they're calculating it correctly. So they need to know like what their role is. They need to make sure they're reaching out um, to the providers of these products to get the correct amounts, make sure they're applying those correct amounts to deficiency balances before they alert the consumers to what's owed. Um, they also need to make sure that they are facilitating the process and reaching out to these third-party providers um, to get that information and to ensure that what's being applied is correct. Um, so that's kind of a new thing. It kind of puts the onus on the lenders um, to really take, take care of these refunds. Um, and, and in some court cases, the lenders were the ones actually said that they would go ahead and take like, the responsibility of making sure those refunds happen. Um, and that, that obviously sets a pretty big precedent. Um, and what could be a precedent if more states adopt that particular route of handling these refunds. Um, so lenders just need to be aware that this is happening because it could be something that becomes industry-wide um, because there are, like I said, some cases where lenders took on that responsibility. So if it becomes that the CFPB says that they have to send these notices or else it's an unfair practice, that's one area lenders can be deemed for. Um, and if it becomes just standard practice uh, for them to, to make sure that they're the ones taking care of it, um, obviously, it's something they need to um, consider going forward. So that's kind of what's happening um, right now uh, related to GAP and, and these, these products add-ons. It's an interesting move because, as you said, usually the onus or I guess the regulatory guidance has come from the state specifically. And, you know, the mm -hmm. CFPB is usually taking a, a hands-off approach to, to this particular topic. So now that they're, you know, honing in on this a little bit more, that's just a diff, a, an additional regulatory scrutiny that's coming from the CFPB in an environment that's already sort of higher. There more, there's more scrutiny out there than there was, you know, in, in the previous administration. And uh, it's, it's interesting as well because this is the second such um, sort of bulletin and or notice, whatever you want to call it, um, from the CFPB that surrounds auto lenders. Um, you know, two weeks ago, I believe it was, they had their notice on fair servicing and um, Equal Credit Opportunity Act and making mm -hmm. sure that there is fair lending throughout the life of the loan rather than just, you know, as we usually talk about fair lending um, in the application process. Which brings us to another one of our top stories last week that sort of addresses this issue, which was U.S. Bank's um, Spanish-speaking voice assistant. Um, so, Amanda, why don't you give us a little bit of insight there as well? Sure. Um, so, U.S. Bank, for about a year, I believe it was, has had a virtual assistant through their app, um, but it's been English-speaking. So, English-speaking consumers could use their app and talk into it uh, to do things like check their balances, um, transfer money, make payments, check the credits for all of those kind of functions, just like talking into your phone like you do with your smartphone for pretty much anything else or your car nowadays. Um, so U.S. Bank had this in place, uh, but last month they launched a Spanish language version of that smart voice assistant. So now um, those same kind of options are available for Spanish-speaking consumers, um, as are their English-speaking consumers. Um, so this is really important, obviously, because, you know, not everyone who uses these apps speak English, definitely not maybe as their first language, may not be their preferred language. 
Um, so by launching this, you're basically meeting those needs and making sure that their virtual assistant is available to more of their consumer base. And it's also really important in light of what we were just talking about, because whenever you have something being offered to consumers, you want to try to make it as uniform as possible. Um, and that's, you know, something the CFPB seems to be really honing in on as well, trying to be fair, making sure that all your consumers that are on equal footing have the same access to tools, whether in programs, whether assistance, et cetera. Um, so it's just something that CFPB is really looking into. So this is just really like a good thing that they're doing um, and probably will put them in a good position since CFPB is like looking at these kind of things um, very closely. Um, but the Spanish-speaking assistant is it's pretty cool because they can speak in Spanish to their phone and their phone will respond in Spanish. And the app, the language on the app itself is all in Spanish as well. And the bank actually worked with um, Spanish-speaking um, like professionals in order to build this so that they're ensuring like, you know, because context and all that is very important, especially when you're integrating another language. So they did work with the right people. Um, to make sure that, that it responds in a way that makes sense. And it's not just, you know, straight translation. So it's um, a little bit more than, so they didn't take their English one and just translate it essentially. They built like from the ground up a, a brand new version um, with that, that new language from the ground up. So that's really important as well. Um, and it just, you know, goes back to financial inclusion, removing barriers, um, you know, equality and making sure that you're in the Bureau's good graces as far as your, um, discrimination and, and unfair practices. You don't want to be uh, highlighted for any of those because you're not offering things to everyone. So. Right. And as far as I know, there's no other bank or auto lender for that matter that allows, you know, servicing options um, through, you know, an app um, that is Spanish speaking. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where the industry moves from there. Speaking of new technology and banking and apps and all of that good stuff, Whitney, last week you attended Finnovate Spring and we had um, some really great stories out of there, what banks are doing. Why don't you uh, give us a rundown of, of sort of the top of line takeaways? Yeah, there was definitely not a shortage of new tech, innovation, lots of cool things that happened at Finnovate Spring that was held in San Francisco at the end of last week. A couple of things that jumped out, one was from the FinTech demos. There was several days of demos that went on. One of the common new technologies that they showcased was built around fraud risk and fraud prevention um, from the use of artificial intelligence to flag fraud alerts, new identity verification processes, uh, voice authentication technology, and one company is even using technology to monitor real-time body language from the other side of the screen, which flags any oddities that might be deemed as suspicious, anything from emotional choices, hesitancy, your confidence, your intention and in what you're clicking around. So that was really interesting to see. Of course, we know that fraud is always top of mind for lenders. So lots of new fraud tech. Um, and, and also speaking of new tech, the founder of Starling Bank, Ann Bowden, she was there to talk about how lenders can uh, start the digital transformation journey 
Um, and basically one of the things that stood out was don't be afraid to fail. So don't be afraid to jump in and start something. She said, sometimes things get lost in the planning and you're too afraid that something might go wrong, but that's where you're going to learn. That's where those mistakes are going to actually lead you into progressing into something that can help your consumers or your processes. So don't be afraid to actually take the leap of faith and start something, edit it from there, change things from there. So a little bit more on what Ann Bowden was saying um, from our coverage last week. Um, lastly, Joey kind of alluded to this, but banks are investing in their mobile apps. That was kind of a hot topic, something that we've been following. Um, but for example, Bank of America, Chase, City, Wells Fargo, they are all improving their mobile apps because consumers are asking for it. That's something that we kind of have watched unfold since the start of the pandemic, but instead of being forced to go to technology, now people want to go to technology. Uh, they wanna be using mobile apps, they wanna bank online. Um, and specifically those Gen Z consumers are the ones asking for it, um, but other, other people too want it. So you're going to be continuing to see the enhancement of mobile apps, the launching of mobile apps, um, just to meet the need of consumers. That's what they're asking for. So Finnovate was a jam-packed three days, uh, lots of new innovation, and some more content coming this week on new data use that banks are using and some DEI best practices. So lots of stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, we and we have Lendit USA conference in New York that later this week as well. So um, our co our coverage will be jam-packed with. Uh, new uh fintech technology stories um you know in the week ahead uh don't forget to register for the auto finance summit which returns to the win las vegas october 26th through 28th that about does it for our episode today thanks for joining us on the roadmap uh follow us on twitter and linkedin and we will see you online at autofinancenews.net and here next time <laughs>